Welcome to the third season of That's So Second Millennium, the Catholic science podcast where we explore the fascinating borderlands between science and theology through realms of philosophy, human experience, and more. Welcome back to That's So Second Millennium, episode 126. So we are extremely happy to have Dr. Stephen Barr back on the program. Um, He is the founder and president of the Society of Catholic Scientists, a young and growing organization that's attracted international membership and is now based at the University of Notre Dame's McGrath Institute for Church Studies. Dr. Barr is Professor Emeritus of the Department of Physics and Astronomy at the University of Delaware, and his publications include the book Modern Physics and Ancient Faith, one sign of his energetic commitment to the notion that science and faith are not only compatible but complementary. And frankly, folks, it's a really good read. I've read it and I recommend you do so as well. Um, this notion, which is incomprehensible to some, but a driving vocational inspiration for many scientists, theologians, and philosophers, that I just had a conversation about this last night. You know, that people, there really is a sense in the broader culture that, you know, science and religion are just, you know, like, They've drifted apart. They'll never, you know, they were never together to begin with. All, all of that sort of stuff, and that—that's the sort of myths. One of the one of the missions to society is to is to dispel that myth, and that's a great thing. So this annual conference of the Society of Catholic Scientists um, always addresses a fascinating topic, and it attracts fascinating participants. So the 2021 conference is coming up. It's the first weekend in June, as it uh, typically is. And so we're really happy to have the chance to start to talk to you, Steve, about uh, what's going on, what's going to happen, the insights, the messages and the speakers. Well, it's good to be on here again, uh, Paul and Bill. Um, yeah, I'm very excited about the conference. Uh, a lot of work has gone into it. I think it's going to be a very interesting, and a lot of fun. So the theme this year is um, it's it's extraterrestrial intelligence and also artificial intelligence. We have, we right. have some speakers talking about both. Right. So we try to have not just a single theme because we want to give opportunity, well, uh, to give some variety, but also an opportunity for people in different areas of science to, to give talks. And so I guess the, the main thing, well, maybe the, the first theme is extraterrestrial life, uh, looked at both from the point of view of the science of it and also what are the theological implications and um, and and another another theme is artificial intelligence, and both of the, they're sort of related because they're both kinds of intelligence that are not human. I mean, you can have extraterrestrial life that's not intelligent, like microbes and things. Right. But we're especially we're interested in that, but we're also interested in extraterrestrial intelligence or what people call ETI. And so there's a kind of a link between the two main topics, and we also have usually talks on other things too. Um, so it is conference. Yeah. So we have, we have a, a variety on the menu. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm particularly, of course, you know, coming in from a geological background, I'm fascinated to see that we have a, a talk about, um, Jesuit pioneers in seismology, which, you know, even in my own secular, you know, going to, uh, Washington university in St. Louis, which has a big deep earth and, um, seismology, you know, like, uh, focus in that department, you know, right. that was that was a thing. I mean, you know, if you need an outpost in southern Chile, it's probably the Jesuits running right. that seismometer. <laughs> right. I, I didn't know that myself. I, I, I knew that the Jesuits have a very great history in astronomy and astrophysics. So uh, that that's what they're probably most famous for. But I only became aware of that, you know, a couple of years ago that they played a pioneering role in, in seismology. And partly because they had all these far flung missions around the world. 
what and you need had, coverage yeah, and, they, and they set up uh seismic stations or whatever they're called size size uh, yeah. Size, yeah. uh, seismometers all over the world and made a world global network of them. Yeah, so we're having a young woman uh, who's a third year, I believe a third year grad student at Harvard, uh, Natasha Tagramajian, um, and she is has getting her PhD in geology and in particular seismology. And uh, she's done some, inter- I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna uh, be a spoiler of her talk, but she has interesting <laughs> things to say about and she works in particular on earthquakes and and their consequences. That is, their human, yeah, the, you know, the actual results of earthquakes on human society. Uh, but she's done a lot of interesting field work, and she's also going to talk about the uh, role, pioneering role of the Jesuits. So, so that's one of our our. Uh, as I said, we have variety to talk. So that's not on extraterrestrial life or artificial intelligence. Um, another speaker. Uh, every con- every annual conference, uh, we we give a St. Albert Award, um, mm-hmm. and it's uh, so far anyway, and I think it's it's by definition to a Catholic scientist uh, who makes contributions either to science or to uh, discussions of the relation of science and faith, uh, or serves the church in some other way. And uh, this year, it's going to a very distinguished historian of science named Lawrence Principe. If people pronounce his name in various ways. Right. The, the dominant pronunciation is Principe. He's a professor at okay. Johns Hopkins University. And he's, oh, yeah. He's just a half skip and a jump from the conference. He is. Yeah, he is. And he's uh, he has uh, written some wonderful things. Um, I'm going to give a plug to something he's done. Everybody should go out and get his 12-lecture um, audio course. Uh, it's okay. made for something called the Teaching Company, I believe, and, they, and the Teaching Company puts out these uh, lecture series called the Great Courses. The Great Courses. Oh yeah, yeah. But, okay. And so he did one on science, and I think it's called Science and Religion, and it's yeah. uh, twelve lectures. Uh, I've heard raving reviews of it from a number of people I highly respect, and I only actually listened to it within the last year mm-hmm. uh, during COVID. It's spectacularly good. I would say. Any Catholic who is interested mm-hmm. in the relation of science and faith mm-hmm. should, should go out and, and, and listen to Lawrence Principe's uh, 12, 12 uh, lecture series. It's wonderful. He's going to be talking um, about uh, science in the Middle Ages, and I think mm-hmm. particularly the contribution of uh, Franciscans, as I recall. So okay. he, that's his uh, St. Albert Award lecture. So mm-hmm. those, uh, Natasha Targumajin and, and Lawrence Principe are two speakers who are not speaking on the main themes of the conference. Uh, mm-hmm. But nevertheless, I mean, in some ways, <laughs> perhaps this is just Paul trying to stretch it just a little bit, but I mean, in some ways the medieval mind is so different than the way we think these days that uh, perhaps, <laughs> yeah, perhaps right. you could almost. Uh, yeah, they're, they're, uh, of course, everything is connected to everything else in science. And, uh, it sure is. Uh, you know, so um, I could tell you about the uh, extraterrestrial life, which is uh, the first part of the conference, if Mm -hmm. you're interested. So um, we're having quite a few talks. Maybe half the talks of the conference are one way or another on extraterrestrial life. Um, Mm -hmm. So we have a talk. I won't go through all of them in detail uh, unless you want me to expand on one of them. But we're having a talk by a very good theologian uh, who is at University of Notre Dame. Mm -hmm. And uh, he... He's uh, given other talks for the society. He's going to start off the conference with a talk on the theological, on the theology of extraterrestrial life. Mm-hmm. Um, 
what implications, if any, does it have for Catholic theology? So that's to sort of set the table. Uh, we found at past conferences, the scientists, almost all the talks are by scientists. And the scientists sometimes say, well, we should have started off the conference with a philosopher or theologian telling us, you know, setting the larger conceptual yeah. or, or, you know, context for the talks. And so we're doing that. And, uh, and then we have uh, two other talks uh, by astrophysicists uh, on the, who are really ex world experts on this subject on, on, um, ex on the, the physics and the chemistry of uh, extraterrestrial life. And so one is by Jonathan Lunin, who is Professor Cornell. Uh, mm -hmm. he, he's on the board of the society. He's, uh, he's a member of the National Academy of Sciences, which is as high as you can get in mm -hmm. the scientific uh, pecking order. And, uh, except in the United States, yeah. and he's, he's going to, he's written textbooks, uh, a textbook, for example, on astrobiology. Mm -hmm. Astrobiology is the field of astrophysics, which talks about you know, the, the, the physics and chemistry and so planetary science mm. of yeah. terrestrial life. So, yeah. uh, and then um, Karin Uberg, everyone calls her Karen Oberg, but she's uh, Swedish born. And so yes. her name is pronounced in a much more difficult way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but she's uh, also on the board. She's a rising star at Harvard, um, a tenured professor at Harvard. Uh, she's a young woman. Uh, she is a not so long ago convert to the Catholic faith. So she's, mm -hmm. uh, uh, and she's going to, she's an expert on uh, what's called astrochemistry. And so, and that has, you know, um, what are the chemical compositions you're likely to find or have found on uh, planets outside the of other stars? And mm -hmm. uh, will there be water on these planets? Will there be the kind of organic molecules you need for life and so forth? Mm -hmm. um, and then we're having, um, uh, a, a, a very distinguished biologist speak. And he's uh, not a Catholic, but he is a devout Christian and a good friend of the Society of Catholic Scientists. Uh, and his name is Simon Conway Morris. And he's a, a, a professor emeritus now, recently retired from uh, University of Cambridge in the UK. Okay. Okay. And he's a world, one of the top evolutionary biologists in the world. Mm -hmm. And he's going to give a talk on Basically, what would ex knowing what we do about how evolution worked uh, on Earth, um, what would ex what would advance you know highly evolved or you know uh, highly intelligent extraterrestrial life on other planets be likely to look like? What would it, would it be like us? You know, would mm -hmm. they be radically different? You know, would they be living in the ocean? Would they be, you know, right. lobster like creatures or, you know, or, or uh, what, what can we conclude? And, and he, I think, I'm not going to steal his uh, thunder either or to give away the punchline, but I, I think what he's going to say is that there's very good reason to think that, that, um, Life on, uh, if there is, of course, it's a huge if, if yes, uh, there is extraterrestrial life. And if it ever gets beyond the one cell or the microbial level. Right. Yeah, that's another uh, old it, clause. It's likely to, it's very likely to be similar to us in many respects. Uh, and uh, that's because of a phenomenon called convergent evolution, mm -hmm. uh, which he's a big expert on. Uh, that even on the earth, evolution keeps prefers certain ways of doing things right. and keeps discovering independently, so to speak. Uh, evolution uh, keeps stumbling upon the same structures and, 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 and plans and, and ways of doing things over and over again. And so that suggests that it will do so 
uh, find the same ways of doing things on other planets. So that so we have a theologian, uh, astrophysicist, astrochemist, and a biologist all talking about this uh, extraterrestrial life, and a number of other speakers as well. Uh, another talk, uh, Tim Dolch, uh, a young, uh, I think he's a radio astronomer from okay. College. There you go. Yeah, he's, he's going to be talking about the search for extraterrestrial intelligence. Mm-hmm. So Jonathan Lunin, who I mentioned before, is going to talk about uh, the search for extraterrestrial life. Most searches for extraterrestrial life are looking for signs of life of any kind. Yes. Like, like microbes. Obviously, those are going to be, if, if extraterrestrial life exists at all anywhere, uh, it's more likely to be primitive, you know, one-celled organisms. And right. Yeah, but yeah. The Tim Dolch will be talking about uh, searching for signs of, of extraterrestrial intelligence. But anyway, there's several other interesting talks on the subject. So we have a quite a, a suite of talks. I think uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. So um, now, as I said, let's see, there's a few others. I don't want to leave anyone out, but I think we have six or seven talks in ex- extraterrestrial life. Uh, I think Chris Schindeldecker mm-hmm. is going to be talking about uh, the chemistry of it. He's he's mm-hmm. uh, a big expert uh, uh, on, and so he's going to be talking about. Or I think I don't want to distort what he's saying because it's not my field, but. Mm-hmm. Um, how certain organic molecules are likely to form in certain mm-hmm. astrophysical situations and so on. And then we have a bunch of talks, as he said, on artificial intelligence. Um, and that will be actually on the Sunday. So, mm-hmm. um, so, uh, and, and, and uh, I won't go through all those talks, but uh, looking at artificial intelligence and, and w- from a philosophical and from a sort of computer science uh, point of view. So we have quite a, altogether, as I said, I think we have 13 talks at this weekend conference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, uh, and it is, it is an exciting layout. Is there sort of like an origin story, so to speak, for this theme, this sort of, this, well, I mean, this, you know, this brace of themes, if you will. Well, um, we sort of, you know, um, I don't know. We don't have a systematic way of uh, deciding on the themes. I guess this is our fourth conference. So the first conference was actually about origins, uh, and we thought when we were just starting out uh, back in uh, our 2017 conference, mm-hmm. we thought, well, this is the origin of our organization. We're just starting. So we're going to have a as our theme, origins. And we had talks on the origin of life, the origin of the universe, mm-hmm. the origin of uh, the solar system and planets, the origin of language, and so on. So that, that was how we picked that theme. The second year, we had a talk on the mind. Uh, mm-hmm. on what's called physicalism. I think this is, uh, that's a very big sub uh, subject yeah. in the relation of science and faith because many atheists are atheists because they believe that the only thing that really exists the only is matter. That mm-hmm. the fundamental reality is matter. Everything else is, anything is ultimately reducible to material processes. And of course that makes them atheists because God is not material. So if, if the only realities matter, then of course there's no God, but not only is there no God, there's also human beings are nothing but machines, biochemical machines. And so there's no soul. There's no Mm -hmm. such thing really as free will. There's no subjectivity. There's no, yeah. And so, and so we had a whole conference on, it was primarily on is the human mind uh, reducible? Well, whether mind is reducible to 
matter, which is called physicalism. Everything is physical. And that was, we picked that theme, I think, just because it's such a central issue of our time. Yeah, yeah. And that was an amazing conference. That was the first one I went to. We got some complaints from some of our members that it was too heavily physics and math oriented. So we uh, adjusted, we we learned by doing, but it was a lot of great talks. There were, there were. And and then the third year. Are those, are are all the talks in the Society's archive at the website? Virtually all of them. And um, there's a sore point because uh, I would say that all but a handful are archived. Mm -hmm. And there was a sort of a a bit of a snafu in our 2018 conference. Okay. I won't mention any names, but the videography company. It was okay. Okay. Some problems there. Yeah. There were some problems and some of the most important talks were not successfully recorded in that. We learned a lesson there, but um, virtually all, I'd say all but a a few are archived on our website. And so there's probably, well, there must be close to, there must be about 30 videos there now, and uh, there'll be more than 40 after this conference. Uh, So uh, the third year, I don't know how we decided. eh, We went back and forth on the theme. We ended up with uh, something like, what does it mean to be human? Yeah. Uh, and, and we had talks on all sorts of aspects of that. I, I, it's an interesting question. Um, you know, we just sort of um, choose topics that seem interesting to us at the time. And we haven't picked. We know where our next conference is going to be. It's uh, the 2022 conference is going to be the first weekend in June at Munderlein Seminary, which is, okay. uh, you know, 40 minutes away from Chicago. Yeah, but we haven't picked the uh, the main themes of that yet, so we're open to suggestions. <laughs> mm-hmm. There you go. There yeah. you go. There's so many fun things to talk about. We might go back and revisit topics in the future, so uh, we'll never run out of. Yeah, but I mean, this this would be the what fifth conference will be the one in Chicago. Yeah, right. We didn't have one, of course, in 2020 because of COVID. Yeah, uh, and so. This, which would have been our fifth, is actually really our fourth. And uh, yeah, and the one Chicago will be our, our fifth. Would be, so. would be the fifth conference, yeah. yeah. So yeah, so uh, now speaking of COVID, um, the, the attendance is pretty good. I mean, uh, it was two weeks away from the conference, but uh, we have about 100, maybe slightly above 100 uh, members of the society um, registered. That we would have expected without COVID, we were originally planning 150. Um, okay. But, you know, unfortunately, um, you know, a lot, some people like we usually get a, a good contingent of people coming down from Canada mm-hmm. uh, and they can't come because of the travel restriction. Ca- Canada won't let them travel. Mm-hmm. Uh, two of our speakers are actually going to have to speak by Zoom because they're one is in the UK, one's in Spain, and it looks unlikely. Okay. They okay. Be allowed to travel. So, uh, but but yeah, attendance is is good. But yeah. Given not, the given the situation, it's given really the situation, good. Right. I was actually quite worried a few months ago mm-hmm. that uh, we would get such a small turnout that it would, you know, be kind of sad uh, because things have been in a constant, as you know, everybody knows, things have been yeah. in a terrible state of flux with with COVID, and we had people telling, you know, I've had people telling me. For, for about a year on and off at various times, you know, you shouldn't have it. You should postpone it. You know, it's too risky. Mm-hmm. Uh, you might have to cancel it, you know, yeah. and, and stuff. And so, um, and I felt it's always good to have the option. You know, if we have to cancel it, yeah, I'm going to wait 
till we really have to cancel it or yeah. uh, uh, why close my options right. prematurely. So we kept alive the option of doing it. And, and we were, we were lucky in a sense because uh, things have opened up just in time yeah. to have, have the conference and it will be safe. Um, yeah. It's it, uh, we're, you know, it's going to be completely safe. Uh, we're going to follow all the rules and that are in force in DC mm-hmm. and so on. Yeah, and, uh, as safe as human life can be. As safe as life can be, and uh, but nevertheless, there are probably some people who didn't come because they have particular yeah. concerns, and other people who are not able to come. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but but the turnout—it's going to be a, 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 if I may use a physics expression, a critical mass of people. With 100, <laughs> yes, hundred people. It's it it ought to be uh, it's going to be a live. That, that is definitely that that's 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 a quantity of people that will allow you to uh, yeah to have discussions and, and people right. to to mingle and, and make new connections and the sort right. of things you like to do at a conference. Well, yeah, in fact, that's one of the reasons we had the conferences. So, uh, as you said, one of the main purposes of the Society of Catholic Scientists is to push back against the the false narrative. I guess people would call it now that uh, science and religion are at odds, that, that they're incompatible with each other or that historically they've been at war with each other. Uh, that, that's a complete myth, by the way. Um, yeah. um, but, but it's not just to you know, publicly witness to the uh, harmony between science and faith, but it's also, um, especially at our conferences, it's an opportunity for Catholic scientists to meet and, and uh, make connections with each other and for fellowship, uh, spiritual fellowship, intellectual fellowship, uh, because otherwise, you know, Catholics in the science world, as in the academic world, are scattered around, right? In your, whether you're in a history department or an English department or in a science department or whatever, or your workplace, uh, there may be other Catholics around, but you might not who know who they are, and so, and often you're discouraged or it's not seen as uh, the right thing to do to speak about your faith in the workplace. So there's a tendency to sort of uh, people to, uh, you know, just to to keep it under wraps or, or just to keep it to themselves. And, and as a result, they don't have interactions with other people in their fields who are Catholic, or they have fewer, few opportunities for that. And, And that can lead to a sense of isolation. Oh yeah, it's it's really um, destructive. Yeah, it's very destructive, and and it's not. It, it, a lot of people think, well, if I go into science or I go into this uh, such and such a, a field, I'm going to find hostility. Well, it's not so much hostility. You're not, not going to find that much hostility, actually. That's usually that's not. Yeah, usually there are some not. subfields where you might, but no, usually not. Yeah, there are some. There are exceptions, and 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 it depends on where you are and what field you're in. But it's you're more likely to feel isolation. And, and some yeah. of that is sort of self-imposed because everybody's sort of being quiet about it. And so yeah. this is one of the wonderful things about our conferences is, you know, you have 100 to 150 for bigger, con- uh, everyone yeah. in the room practically, well, 90% of the people are Catholic scientists like yourself. And yeah. you can talk theology, you can talk science, you can talk. You know, and, you know, you and the other 10% yourself. are people who wanted to come. You can <laughs> so, see yourself, you know, yeah. if we were lucky enough to live a few hundred years, well, actually not a few hundred years. Yeah. Uh, for most of scientific history, most scientists were quite devout and, and yeah. entirely Christian. And so there wasn't this. All the scientists practically were Christians and 
Yeah. And, uh, but in our time, I think it's a novel experience for a lot of scientists to be in a, in a room where suddenly they, they can be, uh, be themselves. And yeah. And, and that's very powerful. Yeah. 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 yeah so I mean, it's, it's, it's a good, it's a good ability to sort of, I mean, and that's, that's a stage, you know, and once you have that sense that you're not alone, it makes it easier to give witness to the broader community. Right. And also you can, you know, people can, uh, draw upon each other, you know, people have questions, can talk to each other and, uh, and, and just, as I say, this intellectual fellowship is, uh, you're not figuring out everything, figuring out everything for yourself. You know, you're drawing right. wisdom of other people that can recommend things to read or, mm-hmm. um, we're starting, we're starting uh, local, uh, college chapters. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, the, some of them are starting up this year, but they're not, can't be very active because of COVID, but, uh, yeah. next academic year, we, we're hoping that they'll start, having activities on their campuses. Uh, so we want to start growing at the grassroots level, um, mm-hmm. not just yeah. have an annual conference because not everybody can afford the time or the money to fly or travel to, to our one annual conference. So we want to do things at the local level and yeah. uh, we're doing a lot of other things. Uh, um, we're spreading our tentacles to Europe. So we're starting <laughs> a, a couple of college chapters in, in Europe. Oh. I mean, I call it uh, regional chapters. We're starting. So we we want to, um, we're getting, we have so many plans on the drawing board. Um, Right. Like so many people, there's a lot like 2020. It's a great round number year. We're going to do all these beautiful things in 2020. No, we're not. No, no, we didn't. But one thing we were able to do, uh, because COVID couldn't stop this, but you know, so we're a very new organization, as you say. We, we, we. Yeah. I should correct one thing. I am not the founder. I am one of uh, You're a co-founder. Okay. A group of six of us. Yeah. A group of six of us founded it, and uh, and I, I we drew lots, and I, uh, I, I was president. <laughs> but I was picked to be president because yeah. the other like talk. like Matthias the apostle. We drew lots, <laughs> and the Holy Spirit selected. <laughs> Selected Stephen Barr to be the, the well. We didn't have any Judas. Yeah. We didn't have any Judas to to replace. But yeah, so um, yeah, so but I am the president, and but that was a summer. We started with six members in 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 the, in the summer of 2016. So we're pretty new, and yeah. so you know we're 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 doing new things, but we're still not up to all the things we hope to to do. We're still. Um, but one thing we wanted to do from the beginning is to have educational material. So we want to have outreach. So mm-hmm. we want to we want to uh, be of assistance to the general public, to Catholic teachers, Catholic students, and you know, the wider a wider community. And so we want educational material on our website. So we really did that. Started to do that a lot mm-hmm. uh, during 2020. Uh, even I think uh, I'm getting confused with my calendar because of the, but uh, we, we have monthly articles. So, which actually we have eight a year. So we've now have 16 articles up on our website, which are on various aspects of science and faith. And I think they're generally a very good quality. They're widely mm-hmm. accessible. They're not, they're not academic type articles that, you know, written for professors, they're written for right. a, a wide audience. Um, we also have a thing that I'm very proud of called um, we, we have important Catholic scientists of the past. Mm-hmm. And yeah. this is something I really want people to know about. This this would be very useful for school, uh, high school teachers, students, but right. for everybody. 
so as you mentioned, there's a myth that um, that science and faith have been at odds over the centuries, and that's nothing could be further from the truth. And but one of the things that makes this very, if you go, what we have is a curated set of biographies, short, very short, like 300, 400 word biographies mm-hmm. of imp- what, important Catholic scientists of the past. Now, it's curated in the following sense. And, and this distinguishes it from, I think, anything else that you'll find out on the, on the internet. Or, right. All the scientists in this list were believing, we only put a scientist on the list if it's, he, if it's clear that he or she was a believing, practicing Catholic. Mm-hmm. There are many lists, I warn people, there are many lists out there of Catholic scientists who put people on the list because they had an Italian name or something. Or, right. <laughs> you know, and they yeah. assume that they're Catholic, but they he's, weren't. He's on a baptismal register somewhere. Yeah, somewhere is. You know. uh, there are also people, only put people on who uh, we regard as important in a sense. That is, they made contributions that are still remembered. Their names are known mm-hmm. to the people in that field. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're not just good scientists. They're, these are ones who made a permanent mark on the history of science, which is recognized in the scientific world as they're in the textbooks, you know. Right. And so, facts um, or a principle or an equation. Right. There's usually things named after them or they're founders in many cases of entire fields of science. Or, yeah. So they're important. They're genuinely Catholic. And we made the biographies uh readable and we tried to explain not everything exhaustively go into their lives, but what did they do that was most significant in science? And we try to explain what that is. So mm-hmm. people who are not scientists can sort of get a feel for why it was important. And something about their faith often quotes things they said about science and faith or their own faith or mm-hmm. little facts about their religious life. So there's 91 of them up there now. And I have to say, when I started, the, the person who helped me with this a lot really deserves um, the two of us did this is a fellow named Andrew Kassebaum. And it's been his sort of hobby to find these scientists. And I had been, I was stunned because there's so many people on the list that I had, who I knew of because I knew about their work uh, as a scientist, I was familiar with what they had done, uh, but I had not realized they were believing in practicing Catholics. And when you get through reading, you know, even half of these, you're just blown away. Yeah. If you realize just the immense contributions that Catholics have made, how many really top flight scientists were believing in practicing Catholics. And this spans uh, many centuries, mm-hmm. all the way up through the 20th. Um, oh, yeah. We only had put uh, people who are dead uh, or, or long retired from science because we don't want people... Mm-hmm. Say, hey, why isn't this guy? Why isn't my friend? Or why am I not? On that list? Right. <laughs> so let's, um, let's let's cut that off. Of the, yeah. <laughs> so these have to be people who are not, you know, active. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the third, another thing we have on the website, which I'm very excited about, is something called Common Questions. Uh, we we actually these are based on questions that Catholic high school teachers have been asked by their students, mm-hmm. and so we we picked out what we think are. So far, we have 16 common questions about science and faith, spanning everything from evolution, extraterrestrial life, miracles, what is the evidence that God exists, uh, all sorts of, uh, are human beings just machines, uh, is there really any difference between humans and animals, and all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we have, uh, they're about average, 
little essays, about 750 words, I think, on average, with mm-hmm. uh, which are meant to be very meaty, to really touch all the important points in a way that are, is generally understandable, mm-hmm. and, um, and with recommended reading and so on. Yeah. So, uh, so there's a lot of uh, I don't know. Your listeners might have heard of the theologian George Weidel. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh yeah. He's a very well, uh, widely read Catholic uh, journalist and theologian, yeah. and historian, and he he wrote an article recently saying that our website, the Society of Catholic Scientists website, is a treasure trove yes. of educational material, and mm-hmm. I, I think that that is actually a fair description. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it is both so anyway, true and so flattering. Yeah, Thank you. COVID could not stop us from putting all right. stuff on our website. That's right. Yes. So that that actually, I'm hoping, uh, if you're a Catholic high school teacher, yeah. uh, student, mm-hmm. uh, go find this stuff, and uh, you know you could uh, have many homework assignments. Say, yeah, students in your class, go look up a Catholic scientist on this list and uh, look into write something about this person. Or, yeah. Yeah. Well, and that, you know, I mean, Christopher Baglow is the is the keynote speaker of this conference that you mentioned earlier. And that, you know, that is a focus. I mean, he's written, you know, two editions of a very, you know, growing, increasingly influential textbook for high school students about these issues. Right. I mean, this is where it has to start is at the high school level. And 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 you mentioned the McGrath Institute for Church Life. I'm going to plug all these great right. things. Yes. Uh, at, at Notre Dame, it started only, I don't know, maybe five years ago or around that. Um, well, the McGrath Institute has been around for a while, but um, yeah. they started there. Uh, it's called the McGrath Institute for Church Life. And it started about five years ago, a science and religion initiative, mm-hmm. in which it has programs basically to teach Catholic high school teachers how to teach about science and faith. Yeah. And, and um, they have these every summer. Mm-hmm. And um, and Chris Baglow is now the director of that. Uh, he's a and he, as you said, he wrote what is, to my knowledge, the only textbook, at least in English, mm-hmm. written for Catholic schools uh, about science and religion. Um, and yeah. so those interested should should go. Uh, his name is Christopher T. Baglow, B A G L O W, and it's mm-hmm. a wonderful book. Yeah. And hopefully, it'll get used more and more if. It's um, again, it's probably if you had to go and read one book yeah. on science and faith, get that one. Um, yeah. Even though it's written for high schools, it could be used in the college course very easily. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's a wonderful book. So, those are the two big things I recommend aside from our website. Material. Right. Chris Baglow's book, Christopher Baglow's book, and, um, and uh, Lawrence Principe's 12. Right. Yeah. Or, or St. Albert Award winner. Yeah. Right. 12 lecture audio series. My, yeah. That really covers. We've, we've, we've got a multimedia extravaganza there by the time we've got Christopher Baglow's book and, you know, and then the, the, the uh, contents on the society's website and then uh, an audio, an audio series right, well, from the great we courses. Live, we're very lucky at the time in which we live in the sense, because, uh, you know, when I was young um, mm. in grad school or college, there was very little written about science and faith from a Catholic mm-hmm. perspective. Yeah. Almost nothing out there. Um, there were not, uh, there wasn't a society of Catholic scientists. There was, you know, there's just a lot of, of material out there now. Um, mm-hmm. 
on the subject. But back then, um, there wasn't there wasn't much. You sort of had to figure things out for yourself. Yeah. And uh, and there wasn't anyone to talk to because uh, yeah. there weren't programs and organizations devoted yeah. to this sort of thing. So yeah. we're we're kind of lucky that uh, there and there are many other. I don't want to you know, not just Society of Catholic Scientists and McGrath Institute, but Bishop Bannerin's Word on Fire is, is started to do things on science and faith, and so yeah. have other the Thomistic Institute and other Catholic organizations, the Lumen Christi Institute in Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, if, even 10 years ago, it was yeah. almost nothing. And now yeah. people have woken up. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> someone, someone has finally set some of this tinder on fire and it's starting to spread. Right. I think the new atheists suddenly made people, you know, we should have been doing this actually for 40 years. Oh, yeah. In fact, I think one of the things that Vatican II had intended to uh, right. get people to do, I don't remember where I read this, but... It was something that was back in the 60s, felt it to be an urgent need, was to um, to deal with, to engage the atheism mm -hmm. and materialism in the philosophical sense uh, of the modern world. Yeah. But that wasn't done, I think, largely <laughs> because the church got so caught up in internal convulsions yeah. and debates yeah. that... Uh, I think people just let that slide until along came the new atheists. Right. And since, since Catholics hadn't been and doing anything to, to right. catechize people, prepare people and help them understand how to, how to think about these questions. Yeah. The atheists came along and they, they, as I like to say, they were pushing on an open door. They, they didn't, yeah. they, they just, uh, they, they filled the vacuum and now, People are realizing, you know, let's let's let's. This is a big issue. Let's start. Yeah. Let's start uh, talking about this. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 I mean, there's so much of a legacy from the Second Vatican Council that seems like it was, you know, that it, it's it's been on. I keep groping for something better than the word stillborn, but you know, there's there's unfulfilled. There's, I mean, unfulfilled. I mean, yeah. Because what happened, you know, I think people got distracted. And yes. started going off in uh, in funny directions, and and uh, lost. They, they took and to change the metaphor once again. They 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 took their eye off the ball. Right. Uh, uh, I think you know this is one of the things that recent popes have been emphasizing. Mm -hmm. I think that was actually one of the big thrusts of Vatican II. There would be a missionary church, you know, right. to evangel the new evangelization, right, which right. really started uh, being talked about, and I think under Saint John Paul II. Yeah, we're, we have to evangelize this modern world in which we're living, and a big part of that it has to do with science because we're living in an in a, thorough, in a culture that's thoroughly uh, imbued with, uh, suffused with scientific ideas and with uh, technology and so forth. Science isn't just for the few people with crazy white hair sitting in laboratories. I mean, everybody now thinks of himself or herself as scientific and we right. have to address these questions. And, um, and the good news is that the facts and arguments are on our side. Right. <laughs> yeah, um, that, is, that is the handy part. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it, it's not like we don't have answers to all these things. Right. It's, yeah. 
we need to get people to know the answers. The answers right. are there in most cases. Uh, I mean, there's, I'm not saying we have answers to every question, but I'm saying that a yeah. lot of the um, a lot of the arguments against faith made by new atheists and, and scientific materialists. Mm-hmm. These arguments have actually been around for a long time. Actually, they're not saying yeah. anything new. They're pretty much yeah. saying what's been 150 yeah. years ago. And a lot of what they're saying is rubbish. So, for example, one of the main reasons people think that there's a conflict, as you said at the beginning, is, uh, is historical. They think that historically, uh, science, that there was a scientific world and a religious world, and that those worlds were at war with each other. Mm-hmm. And that is, comp- no historians of science endure- uh, accept that view. And it's regarded, that was a myth yeah. that rose in the late 19th century. Yeah. Uh, and no historians of science think that there's any validity to it. And the fact is that for, uh, until the late 19th century, there wasn't. There weren't two camps or two worlds: the science camp and the religious camp. Almost the great majority of scientists for the first few hundred years of modern science were um, were themselves religious people. Yeah. Uh, so, so you know, most Galileo, Copernicus, Kepler, you know, New, yeah. Newton. You just go through all the great names of the, f- the people who, who uh, invented modern science in the 17th century and 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 well into the um, uh, contemporary world were, were religious. Hmm. And so that's a complete myth. One of the people who's helped dispel that myth, though, it's, as I say, it's not accepted by experts, but one of the people who's been very uh, helpful in getting the word out is Lawrence uh, Principe. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in, his, in, the, in the video course or the audio course I mentioned before, but in, in other writings as well, not just he, but many historian so that myth has been exploded completely uh, it's the opposite of the truth yeah in fact no. uh, science and religion were, were were never at war and most scientists until say the mid-19th century were themselves believing christians yeah. um and so see that's a fact that's a fact on our in, in right. favor of our side not the atheist that's, i mean the, right. the fact, historical facts are not in, are, are not uh, do not support what the atheists have been claiming. It's just a question of getting the facts known. Mm-hmm. And the same thing for many of the philosophical arguments, or many of the supposedly scientific arguments against religion. They're very right. good answers to those. Right. It's just a question of having more people understand these yeah. answers that have uh, been developed. You know that, um, and and that's one thing we're trying to do you know, through our conferences, also through our website. Yeah. So the good news, the good news is that the, the, the arguments and facts are on our side. The bad news is we're playing catch up. <laughs> yeah. So I, and to an enormous extent. Yeah. 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 I mean, I was having a conversation with a former student um, of mine just last night. He's a, he's a graduate student here in St. Louis. And uh, like, you know, the idea that there could be a science society of Catholic scientists is just like, I mean, he's, he's from a secular background and it's just like, it's just puzzling to him. Yeah. I mean, a scientist who's religious, isn't that sort of like a bear riding a bicycle or something? A fish riding a bicycle. (laughs) Right. Yeah. There's a, there's a, there's a great metaphor from the the somewhat recent past. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's, that's true. A lot of people think think that. In fact, I was talking to one of my 
he's old, he's now in his mid eighties, but a physicist I've known for 40 years, um, since I was a postdoc. Uh, and I just mentioned to him that he's an atheist. He knows I'm Catholic. He's known that for 40 years, but, uh, he was talking to me with some, he was interested in the society of Catholic scientists that there was such a thing. And I mentioned, I said, yeah, we're having a conference coming up. This was our 2018 conference. Yeah. And I said, Juan Maldesena is giving a talk at it. We're giving him our St. Albert award. Because mm-hmm. I should explain to people who might not know this. Juan Maldesena yeah. is probably people in our field. And I'm in theoretical particle physics and yeah. cosmology. Uh, the people in our field would say that Maldesena is on a par with uh, Stephen Hawking, yeah, uh, or any Nobel. He is. And many people would say he's one of the. If you, who are the top? You know, three most brilliant, mm-hmm. and maybe even the most brilliant yeah. uh, people in my. Probably they, most people in my field would say he is the most brilliant theoretical physicist of his generation. Let's put mm-hmm. it that way. He's at the Institute for Advanced Study in Princeton. He's he's uh, he wrote a paper in theoretical particle physics that is the most highly cited paper in the entire history of theoretical particle physics. Hmm. And so he, he's, a, he's a genius and he's a giant in the field. So anyway, when my friend said, and I said to him, uh, oh yeah, and Juan Maldesena is speaking at a conference, his eyes bugged out. Because <laughs> he of course knew, you know, that Maldesena. He knew who Juan Maldesena was, yeah. Was this titan, you know, this towering yeah. figure in our field. And he's, Maldesain is Catholic? I said, yeah, he's a practicing Catholic. And I think he was like in a state of shock. Right. Yeah, exactly. It, it didn't occur to him. Yeah. But that could be compatible. Great science, uh, uh, you know, Maldesain is a person who 500 years from now, he will be in all the physics textbooks. That he, he yeah. didn't occur to him that someone like that could be religious. So, you know, because yeah. there's people have been so um, indoctrinated. Yeah. 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 I mean, there's an enormous amount we could explore that beyond the scope of this podcast, but, but about, you know, what, what cultural factors have caused that to be the case, but yeah, it's, 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 yeah, it's, it is a complicated subject. It's to some extent, there's some positive feedback loops there for the science types in the audience. That is uh, once the idea gets out there Mm -hmm. that it's unscientific to be religious, that, view tends to reinforce itself in, in a variety of ways. Yeah. For example, religious scientists tending to be more timid about expressing their views to their colleagues. Yeah. Yeah. That then creates more of an impression mm-hmm. um, in the scientific world that there aren't religious scientists because all the religious scientists are self-censoring. Right. And so there are these, these feedback loops. And, and that's, I think what happened is it, it, at some point the idea took hold and it just then, became it sort of hardened into well everybody knows right right <laughs> yes <laughs> who's the they and that's what they that's what they say yeah uh, yeah. yeah who's this they but yeah and we're here to show, show that it ain't, it ain't true <laughs> right that's yeah indeed indeed so anyway the, the conference will be live streamed you know, some of these things are still being set up um you know, we're getting the, our technical people to talk to the technical people at the hotel where the conference is and get mm-hmm. those. The, so I don't, I can't give people a, a, but at some point before the conference um, on our website, there should be a place where it announces probably the news and announcements that uh, mm-hmm. where people can go to listen to the talks. Um, 
and they will eventually be also archived, put on our website. So even if you can, yeah, people will certainly be able to, barring catastrophe, uh, yeah, see all the talks at our conference. Right. Yes. Yes, indeed. So anyway, uh, yeah. So this is uh, coming to fruition. This has been two years in the making. This, as I said, was supposed to be our 2020 conference, but uh, been uh, now it's been my 2021 conference. So finally. Yeah, <laughs> finally, <laughs> an even more drawn out process than planning conference usually is. Were you going to say, Bill? Yeah, it is. And uh, I was going to ask, given all this, uh, would you say that now one of the next audiences to try to reach out to uh, with this kind of uh, evangelizing alertness would be the media, the secular media? And also just uh, opinion leaders in the secular world who are really uh, going to inform the general public and, and spark more interest in these connections with them. Right. We have to. That's another big. So we have a number of big tasks. And one of them is to is to get our voice in, in into some of these echo chambers that exist out there. Right. Um, I mean, you know. My 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 sons tell me, you know, you have to get on uh, one of the, you know, there are more people that listen listen to certain YouTube uh, programs. Mm-hmm. I don't know that what I'm a dinosaur, so I don't know how you distinguish <laughs> YouTube channels, YouTube channels, content YouTube. providers. But, uh, yeah. yeah, then listen to you know many uh, television, cable television, CNN or Fox News, right? Or so I mean, Joe States. Rogan, right? I, I've never watched him, but I, I've heard of him. Right. I think he's like 10 million or 20 million or whatever in the, in the ridiculous eight yeah. figures. Listen to him. And, and some of these other people, they, 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 I think television is a thing of the past. Yeah. To some extent. Uh, and so the thing is to, I've been encouraged by my sons. Why don't you get on so-and-so show or so-and-so show? Uh, and they've listed some people who have huge audiences who act. And, and that's the thing. It's, we don't want to just preach to the, um, Converted. So on the one, we have yeah. to, of course, talk to Catholics because a lot, large part of the problem is that Catholics aren't themselves. They haven't uh, been helped in understanding how to think about some of these issues. The one people who aren't scientists themselves, and so the Catholics need some guidance, you know, yeah. on how to think about these things themselves. Mm-hmm. But we also have to reach out to the the non believing world mm-hmm. and there are many things on the internet including some of our videos that i'm sure most of the people who watch them are catholic but we need to break through and have you know the the, yeah. the complete people who are not even that interested in religion or were atheists mm-hmm. come across our material and watch it yeah. and so that's that's a challenge you can't we have to preach to ourselves right but we also have to preach to the wider culture yeah yeah. Yeah. In the world of, you know, the contemporary world of social media algorithms, feeding people what they already know they want to engage with. Fortunately, that's not all there is to it. But yeah, I, I actually had a lucky break in this regard. Just a few, uh, I just noticed it a month ago. Uh, a talk I gave two years ago in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Um, I was invited to the University of Minnesota, I think it was campus and gave a talk, a Protestant group and a Catholic group on campus invited me. Mm-hmm. So I'm unaccountable for, uh, you know, for some reason, I don't have any idea. It, it, it was getting, I don't know, uh, 
you know, it, after two years, it had something like uh, 4,000, 10,000, I know, views. Yeah. It's been averaging about 1,000 views a day for more than a month. Yeah. Uh, so suddenly <laughs> it caught fire, you know. Yeah. But we need more of that kind of thing. And, and I can tell yeah. that the people watching it are not all the converted. Right. You can um, – but but uh, that's what we need to do is to to break out of our bubble and invade some of these. Right. Exactly. Take 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 the fight elsewhere. But I mean, but it's it's still good to have you know to to mobilize and energize you know the people who are already sort of you know Catholic but very you know blah on this issue or sort of have reservations about it. It's maybe something that they're sort of timidly not. Well, I just don't want to look at this because I'm worried that you know the answer isn't going to be favorable to us. Exactly. This is this is I think the problem, and there are many reasons for that. I've thought a lot about that. <clears throat> I think a lot of not well, a lot of non scientists, of course, are intimidated by science. Yeah. And and deep in their gut, they we've also been told uh, for a long time that all great scientific breakthroughs are. Uh, Upset the apple cart. That, that what they do is show that all of the preceding ideas, even things that had seemed to people completely obvious, mm -hmm. you know, intuitively obvious, common sense, were wrong. Yeah. You know, it was obvious that that the Earth is the Sun moves and the Earth is still. It it was obvious yeah. that you know that that there's such a thing as two events being simultaneous and so that. Time was yeah. <laughs> yeah that seems yeah. fairly obvious. You know, yeah. they were very yeah. obvious things, and and along came the great revolutionary scientific idea, and just showed that all these naive are naive. Right. Everything we took for granted and we thought was obvious is simply naive. And and people have been so. And by the way, that's really an oversimplification of science. It sure is. <laughs> uh, it's not like all of a sudden all of these planetary charts that we've drawn up on basis of Newtonian physics were wrong in 1905. Right. And, and so, but that's what they think. So uh, they dare not they dare not have any convictions because they think, oh, well, you know, so it gets to absurd. Anything that you think is obvious, well, science will show that it's naive. And, um, and so there was a, an article in some newspaper, I think about a year ago, maybe two years ago, Experimentalists, the postulates of quantum mechanics. If you hear a funny pant in the background, it's it's my son's pug that I'm babysitting. Uh, and 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 uh, what they heard, what, what this headline said is in the science journal uh, newspaper or in the newspaper, experiment shows that there is no objective reality. <laughs> These quantum. Quantum physicists yeah. in their laboratories have shown finally that there's no objective there's reality. There's no objective reality. Well, of to those of us who actually right. Mechanics, right. yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I know quantum mechanics, you know, and right. it doesn't say that. It doesn't, it doesn't say, say that. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's complete hogwash. Right. You see, people are ready to believe that. Oh, yeah. If you tell people science oh. has shown that you do not exist, right. will, there are people who are going to. Uh, I don't know if you've seen the movie uh, uh, with Schwarzenegger on Mars. What was it called? Total Recall. And at one point, oh, a character okay. says to him, you are not here and I am not talking to you. You know what I mean? People have been so um, bullied yeah. Oh, yeah. because they don't know science. And those scientists are very smart. And they know that all these revolutionary days have, have debunked many once 
commonsensical ideas that now they're very, as you say, there's a fear in the pit of their stomach, mm-hmm. especially when they hear some scientists who are sort of vocal uh, coming out saying that science proves there's no God or yeah. Stephen Hawking says that science can dispense with, you know, creator. Right. Deep down, they, they fear, they fear maybe, well, maybe it's yeah. true. And as you say, they, they want to avoid the whole subject. Yeah. They, they just don't want to think about it. Yeah. And we got that's why it's important for them to know there are very good scientists, a lot of them, yeah. who are devout Catholics and who can help them think through these things and, and reassure them, no, science does not prove yeah. there's no God and is not contrary yeah. to. Earth. Yeah. And yeah. I think that they have to, that's what we have to, to, yeah. to witness to them. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, the Sorry, price I is rambling on, but I don't oh, know. That's a uh... fire. Fire and enthusiasm, <laughs> right? Which, yeah, which is something that we we'd like to bottle and uh, spread if we can, because that's it's, it's it is badly needed. I mean, and the the price of living an atheist life, the price of living with that perspective, needlessly, is pretty high. It's In pretty fact, high. I'll give you a perfect example. I'll give you a perfect example of an awful price. Now, I was contacted by a guy. I won't mention his name. I probably. Mm-hmm. I never heard of him before. He's just you know, I get emails from complete strangers from all over. Yeah. This guy the joys of being a public intellectual. Well, this guy was worried because he read articles by neuroscientists saying that the self, I, some of them say the self doesn't exist. We this idea that we have selves, that there's one person, uh, yeah. uh, Paul Giesting, who, yeah. who exists through time and is yeah. the same person from one day to the next or one minute mm-hmm. to the next. That's an yeah. illusion. And 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 he reading these people is deeply worried. Now it turns out this person has psychological emailed me has psychological problems. He has a history of psychological yeah. problems. Yeah. He admitted. Yeah. yeah. But he then was reading some philosopher who and academic philosophers like to raise very interesting sort of academic debating point. How do we know that, that when I go to sleep at night and I wake up the next day, is it really the same me? Right. <laughs> and and they actually debate, and so he was actually, as he said, having an existential crisis, sure. because he wasn't sure that if he goes to bed tonight, that, or that night, that he would wake up, it would be the same person, right? And I, I mean, this guy's going through agonies. I mean, of course he yeah. had, of course he had a mental, a psychological, yeah. serious psychological problems to begin with, but here he's confronted by neuroscientists. Oh, yeah. Telling him that yeah. he does that he doesn't exist. Right. And that it's not the same person from one day to the next. Right. And yeah. so as yeah. you say, there is um, the agony of living. It's not just atheism, because what you have to understand is that we're up against if it were just people who didn't believe in God, that wouldn't be you know so difficult to deal with. The people who claim there's no God on the basis of science, mm-hmm. most of them do so. Because they're much more radical than atheists. They also, they, as I said, they don't believe that anything besides matter exists. You know, right. They don't just deny the reality of God. Right. They would deny the reality of anything that is not explainable by physics and chemistry, including the self. Right. Um, yeah. And so very radical ideas. And the agony of living with the idea that you're not just that we're living in a godless and meaningless universe, but the, in some sense that we don't really exist. We're just, uh, you know, we're just a, 
biochemical machine with the illusion of free will and person. Right. Right. That that's, almost a, that's almost a necessary transition uh, away from a god and from self if one uh, uh, prognosticates a, a kind of endpoint in AI that leads to um, what, a transhumanism. I mean, uh, uh, the, the self becomes truly kind of unimportant or the whole idea of self becomes different and the idea of God becomes moot if uh, if we're going to be transhuman. Right. I mean, it's not. I mean, it's not surprising that since we are made in the image of God, that a philosophy that starts with denying God, you know, at a certain point, you end up denying ourselves um, and what we are. Uh, yeah. So, you know. Um, but 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 you know it's not another piece of good news. It's not just some of the mistakes that they're making that the materialists or the physicalists or the atheists, scientific atheists, let's call them, are making are not um, just um, opposed by religious people. Uh, there are I mean the, these more radical views that only matter exists, for example. Um, or that machines can actually uh, that 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 a machine you know um, of the kind that we know how to build uh, neural networks or or traditional programmable machines like your laptop and th- that they actually can have consciousness and be intelligent in the same way that we are. Right. These are argued against even by many atheist philosophers and yeah. and, and uh, thinkers of our time. Um, and so, and so there's actually a lot of, it's not just, there, there's a lot of um, arguments against these views. Come, if it was just religious people arguing against them, they say, well, you have to believe that because it's the dogma of your faith. Right. No, there are a lot of athe- famous atheist philosophers who will say, no, uh, physics, do- physics doesn't explain everything. Physics yeah. doesn't explain consciousness. Yeah. Machines aren't intelligent in the sense we are. And you can mention people like the uh, very well-known philosopher uh, Thomas Nagel. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Searle. What was his Searle. first name? Uh, um, well. <laughs> a whole lot of these. Yeah, people who came up in the 2018 conference in particular. Yeah. yeah. Right. So, so uh, there's there's as I said, the, the arguments are on our side. Historical facts that are generally accepted by historians of science, philosophical arguments that are made by many leading philosophers who are not religious, yeah. uh, and so on. And um, and so we, we people have to recognize that um, this is not religion versus science. This is, it's not faith versus science. It is faith versus very radical philosophical positions that claim for themselves to be scientific, but are just radical philosophical opinions that are held by some scientists and some philosophers. So we're not not against science. Science is not against us. We're against some rather crazy These these philosophical positions that there are very potent arguments against. Right. Yeah, they're very potent arguments against them of a purely secular sort in many cases. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I sort of well, I mean, there's a lot I can yeah. talk about. We're doing all sorts of things, as I said. Um, we're we're trying to. There's so much to do, and yeah. uh, 
And we're growing, you know, uh, as of our last conference, which was two years ago, we had 1,050 members. Now we're up to 1,500 members. So, uh, you know, and we're, we're doing more and more types of things. So uh, anyone out there who is a Catholic scientist and including mathematicians and other, go to our website and we'll tell you what mm -hmm. kinds of scientists uh, qualify for our organization. Mm -hmm. um, we encourage you to join this strength in numbers. Mm -hmm. um, it, it is, uh, it's just um, the more we have, uh, the stronger we'll be and the more things we can do. Yeah. And let us ask you to, uh, uh, I have one follow-up question, but I also would like to uh, give the actual URL for the uh, society's website so people know where to go. Okay. Uh, it's, it, uh, well, it's, it's, uh, it's Catholic scientists, all one word, plural, catholicscientists.org. But you shouldn't have any trouble if you just Google Catholic and scientists, uh, yeah. you'll find it. It'll, it should hopefully pop up on the first page. But uh, yeah, we're easy to find. Very good. And then my last question is, uh, while it's uh, while the society is growing internationally, it's also growing locally, as you said, uh, with uh, campus chapters and area chapters, et cetera. And that means, am I right, um, a spread of these uh, masses that celebrate uh, St. Albert the, the Great, right. and that's, a, that's another mission of yours? Right. So one of the things um, we were trying to foster uh, is an institution called the Gold Mass. Uh, most Many people know that... Uh, there's a tradition going back to the Middle Ages of what are called red masses for lawyers, not just lawyers, lawyers, judges, people in uh, in the legal system. We all need uh, great divine assistance. And that goes back, to, I think it goes back to the 13th century or something. So they're called, and, and in most dioceses, there'll be an annual red mass for, for people in the law. And uh, so, and there's actually more recent, like in the 20th century, they started white masses, I think, for uh, medical people and blue masses for law enforcement people. And so we want to have a gold mass, uh, and we have. So they've been going on now, and there's more and more of them. Uh, not so many this last year because of COVID, though some places did have them. Um, and, so, uh, and so we have these gold masses. There's something on our website about that. And one of the things our college chapters will do, and, all, and our regional chapters is they will have every year at their own college, they will have a gold mass. We thought of other names for it. Someone, someone suggested critical mass, but that, that was, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, was a little, a little too specific. And somebody suggested, uh, and someone suggested we should call them rest masses, but rest uh, masses. we Let's call them better. gold masses. But yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that's overall the best. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, those are, yeah, and uh, yeah, and so that's uh, that's another thing we're, we're doing, yeah, another initiative. Yeah, and um, they can, yeah. So go to our website and learn about, and, and you could sponsor them in your own locality. It's, it's not difficult um, to to organize such a thing. Um, it's it's a way also for uh, Catholics involved in science or science teaching, including high school teachers and so on. Uh, or researchers and so on to 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 meet each other in, in, in who are in a certain locality to form a, a, a sort of a network or a community locally uh, 
So that's one of the ideas of the Gold Mass is to bring Catholics who are in any way involved in science or science education together. Uh, and then when they meet and they could even start sponsoring other activities in their locality. Yeah, yeah. but it's a great thing to start with, with the Gold Mass. So, yeah. well, we maybe should let you uh, let you go on to uh, all of the other conference planning that you probably have ahead. Well, thank goodness most of it's uh, most of it's been done. Yeah, uh, it's like planning a wedding. I, I in my scientific career, I never planned science conferences. Um, right, uh, but <laughs> now I find myself planning all these conferences, and it, I tell you, it, it's like planning a wedding. There's a hundred different details, and always right. something goes wrong. <laughs> right, something has to. Yeah, yeah. The bride is late, you know, or for, right. the, for the, uh, the the photographer sisters, you know, messes something up. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody trips and falls in the air. Where these gray hairs come from. Right. <laughs> this is right. And the hair was much darker about five years ago. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Paul and I are looking forward to the Washington conference. Yes, you so guys we'll are going to be there. there. Yeah, we will you both guys be there. Be there. And, uh, going yeah. Quite a bit. yeah. Yeah. Hope, hope to and be able to speak. Unfortunately, we're going to probably have to wear masks uh, because even yeah. though I think this. Uh, Washington, D.C. government uh, doesn't require vaccinated people to wear masks. And I think about 80 or 90 percent, maybe 90 percent of our attendees will be fully vaccinated. Yeah. The Hilton Hotel Company, some of the, uh, you know, has its own policies. And I think yeah. we don't know yet for sure, but we might have to be wearing masks, which makes it harder to have that interpersonal conversation. Connection. Yes. When you can't see, yeah, when you can't see the other person's face, yeah. but uh, still, I think it'll be a, it'll be a blast anyway. You know, mm -hmm. we'll just yeah. have to use our imaginations to what people look like. <laughs> a little bit. A little bit. Maybe we can lower the mask and not breathe for a few seconds, and then right. use it just so people can see what we look like. <laughs> right, right, right. Oh, right. uh, yeah, the strange, strange that, episode. I think it's going to be. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think if we were one week, one month later, maybe by that time the the, the rules would be further loosened. But uh, but yeah. it is what it is, and uh, I think we'll have fun anyhow. Yeah, we'll we'll do what we can. I'm and sure. it's certainly a fascinating yeah. group of speakers and topics to to think about. So, all right. Yeah. I uh, well, thank I, you so much. Okay. Yeah, thank you for joining. Always, us. always great to have you on. And uh, yeah, you know, we hope that our, our listeners are encouraged by this and uh, go out and. Uh, you know, listen, listen to the conference speakers and uh, get involved in any way they can. Right. Yeah. Thank you again. Okay. Bye-bye. Nice Take care. Good yep. talking with you. Thanks for listening to this episode of That's So Second Millennium. TSSM's audio producer is Morgan Burkhardt. Our theme music, Igneous Grok, was composed and performed by Vin Marquardt. For my co-host, Bill Schmidt, I'm Paul Giesting. Until next time.